0: Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. I've an exciting guest today. Her name is Patty Arviello. She is an award-winning entrepreneur and co-founder and president of New American Funding. A first-generation Hispanic, her path to mortgage industry began at age 16 with a hard work ethic and an entry-level position at TransUnion Credit, From there, she landed a job at a prominent mortgage company where she would rise through the ranks and learn the business from the ground up, eventually becoming branch manager and assistant vice president. In 2003, Patty and her husband, Rick Arriello, launched their own mark mortgage company called New American Funding. In the years since, Patty has helped transform the company into one of the largest independent mortgage lenders in the United States today with a servicing portfolio of over 238,000 loans for $63.2 billion. She also oversaw the creation and expansion of the company's retail lending operation, which grew a small local operation to a national powerhouse with 172 locations and thousands of employees across the country. Today, Patty oversees 3,900-plus employees, 55% of whom are women and 44% who are minorities. As she says, she wasn't born an entrepreneur, but she was made one. I'm excited to have her here to tell us her story, how she became this entrepreneur who is so successful, and I'm so proud that she's Latina and she's first gen, and so she's here to tell us her story. And without further ado, this is Patty Arvielo. Wow, wow, wow! What an introduction! Uh, sincerely humbled. It's hard to actually
1: listen to someone talk about you and not get like, you know, our immediate reaction is to what? Oh, no, you know, typical Latina. Oh, yeah. I don't look good, you know. Anyhow, so that's old Patty. So thank you very, very much. I really appreciate
0: being on this podcast with you today, oh, I'm oh my god, my honor is to be here with you. And so, Patty, she's not only an amazing entrepreneur, but she really has built a trajectory for for Latin Americans in a sense of money and wealth. And amigas, you understand that we as Latinos, the concept of money, hmm, what can we say? We don't like to talk about it. We yeah. don't. We don't like to talk about it, but here we have this beautiful entrepreneur, mentor, philanthropist, and president of New American Funding, which is the largest, one of the largest mortgage companies, especially as a Latina. I am so proud. I'm so proud to have her here and for you all to get to know her, how she all started, because... It's really unique. Her story is so unique and I love that she's here to share everything about it. So, oh my God, Patty, please, please, please tell my amigas out there, where are you from? How did this all start?
1: Ah, thank you. Thank you. So my story spans over 41 years when I kind of fell into the mortgage industry, but I actually was born in Downey, California. I call that like Beverly Hills of Latinas and Latinos, right? So um, I was born in Downey and Grew up in Southgate until my parents realized that they wanted to remove me from that kind of L.A. environment, put me in a better school district. And so we moved to a town up the street called La Mirada. So I grew up in La Mirada and by, you know, I, I started working girl when I was young, like at the La Marata swap meet selling <laughs> wicker. So I sold wicker. So I was always kind of money hungry. I'm the firstborn of my family. My mom is one of five girls. My nana was a single mom. And so I was the first grandbaby. And so I was kind of like matriarch in grooming. So I just always had this fire to earn my own money. And because very early on, I could see that Other people had things we didn't. And that kind of came from my mom always wanting to go from where we live to Tijuana because that's where my Nana lived. So my mom was 19 when she had me. So... We always want to run to our moms, especially when you have little babies, so you can get that extra set of hands around them. So we spent a lot of my, my early childhood in Tijuana, but we would drive down to Tijuana and even young, like five, six years old, I would look out the windows and notice on the way there that there were these big, fat white houses. And so I always kind of early on thought, I want one of those, like I just did. So my whole life, I've been groomed to kind of get what I want, but not by seeking it through others, but by earning it myself. So at the age of after working in the swap meet, selling wicker, and actually after cleaning real estate offices with my mom, because my mom was a maid, a cleaning lady. And so my sister and I would go help her at night to clean real estate offices I got the highest paid job I could find per hour was a data input job at TransUnion Credit inputting derogatory credit trade lines on mortgage credit reports, which mortgage lenders use to qualify people for home loans.
0: Hmm. I had no
1: idea what a home loan was at 16, but I found out that the person ordering the reports made more money than me. So I realized, huh. I need to learn how to do that job. So I looked for an entry back then in the paper on Sundays, that would advertise like help wanted ads, you know, the jobs. So I found like a loan opener job at a, a savings and loan. And I was, you know, young, 18, I think when I got that job and I did, I may got a little more money per hour. And so soon I kept seeing, I, you know, kept looking upwards. I think I was very inquisitive, like going, Well, the people pulling into this mortgage company drive really nice cars. So what do they do and how do they (laughs) make their money? So honestly, it's just a simple observation tool. That's why I'm really a big, huge advocate on mentorship and not teaching about mentorship and seeking mentorship. But that was my first kind of early on, I think, back my memory on me looking upwards or at And looking and not actually I never saw myself but you know white guys were pulling in and fat cars and I'm like well I want one of those what do they do they sold real estate loans so I just did what it took to get my license so that I could to sell loans and by the age of 19 I was uh, you know going in the field and asking real estate agents for loan referrals and I didn't get any business for like a year and a half because I was uh, back then I thought I seemed so old But I was a little. Oh my God, at 19? At 19, I thought I was so old. Oh my God. I wasn't making any money and I had a lot of debt already because I was not taught about finances and how to manage finances. So, yeah, I thought I was old. And I had a gentleman just give me a try, one older white gentleman. And he gave me a loan that had been denied by several other people. And he's like, Here, young girl, go see what you can do. So really, honestly, scrapping. I know a lot of people hear that word. You know, I I didn't go to college. I did actually feel like I had to go to college, but I didn't have any money to go to college. I didn't even know about student loans and thank God I didn't really do that. But I walked onto a college campus in Fullerton and walked right off because I already had such a fat car payment that I'm like, there's no way I can go to school full time and make this car payment. So luckily (laughs) I had debt. I don't know, so I just continued to work. It wasn't really instilled in me in that young age. You know, I'm old now, older now. And my mom's generation did not really push education. My whole life going to grade school and high school, They never even asked to look at a report card. So I wasn't driven by education. I obviously was smart because I I had really good classes in high school. I also had classes that I was not good in. I'm not good in math. I have a learning disability um, that runs in our family, a major attention deficit disorder. And so I can't focus and I don't see numbers. But yet I own a finance company. So that's where there's no obstacles in life, right? I cannot see numbers. I literally still have to add on my hands. Um, It's really bad since I lead a large financial institution, but I don't see numbers in my head. Yeah, so I didn't know I had a learning disability. My mom and dad were not educated around ADHD and ADD. But I also was very smart in communications. I was in like AP, like an advanced Speech class, so I would, every, obviously I was a very good public speaker, and so you know it's funny that we're, we categorize being smart one way in this country, and smart looks many ways. Yeah. So I didn't know I was smart till actually about a decade ago, but that's a long story. So I just really was a scrapper. Listen, I looked upwards, I saw people that had things that I desired, and so I figured out a way to climb a ladder in an industry that I found a passion in very early on. So when I'm talking to the younger generation and they want to be passionate about their job at 20 and 21, they're not probably as lucky as me that I found something I was passionate in. I mean, I was serving home ownership. I was doing loans and then delivering people keys to the biggest purchase they were probably ever going to make in their lives. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. So I was very fortunate to find a career that I was passionate about young. Yeah. I also was very fortunate to have failed very young. You know, I, I amassed very... At 25, I was already making very good money, but amassed a lot of debt because no one ever taught me about creditworthiness and the importance of being credit worthy. the importance of being able to have a good banking relationship. So obviously, I didn't learn that. So I, I was already married at 24, pregnant, And my husband was very credit worthy. He was Caucasian, young gentleman. And he was like, oh, no, you need to clean this up. So, you know, I learned. I failed early and I learned early the importance of credit and being credit worthy and managing your money. So I really do owe it to him for teaching me that. We were young. And um, I also am thankful for him that he left me. Because I probably, as a Latina, so loyal, never would have left him. So I'm very grateful that he broke up with me. um, (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't happy then. Yeah. But looking back, he did me a favor because I would have stayed in. You know, if you listen to my story, it's all like win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, fail, learn. So I always tell everybody I've made probably every single mistake you can make, but I don't make them twice.
0: Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. What an incredible journey. OMG. So you're talking about, you know, the fails, the successes. And I always say that we should fail. We should fail forward because that's where we have these opportunities to see it differently from a different lens. Obviously, when we're There were like, oh, sad and whatnot, but it's important to like, okay, pull your bootstraps and let's keep on moving. And that's exactly what you've been doing. Wow. So now, okay, let's uh, rewind a little bit because I think there was something that you said that I, like you and I kind of have a shared path. I also lived in Downey. (laughs) <laughs> when, it, when it was <laughs> when uh, it, it was Mexican, Mexican Beverly Hills <laughs> the Mexican Beverly Hills back in the 80s when Stonewood Shopping Center was actually outdoor <laughs> yeah and the interesting thing is that while I was living there my husband now lived in Southgate yeah now, nice. but I didn't get to meet him until I attended USC fast forward anyways the, a lot of people actually from south cade have become uh, really famous like you got all these musicians and then we have hey. someone like you who owns this big mortgage house so for you you kept saying about you didn't get educated in finance you didn't get a degree you did not go to college But yet, and you have a learning disability. So you have all this negative stuff stacked on, but yet you pull through. So what do you think is about you that you were able to like not allow that be a hurdle for you and give you this imposter syndrome? Yeah.
1: So for sure, I held on to imposter syndrome, especially when I started to find and gain success. I'm like, oh, my God, I must be the luckiest person in the world because I'm so not smart and I'm so not good. And that was at 40. So, you know, I think when my first husband left me, and it was a great failure. I mean, my, we had amassed a little bit of wealth. We had seven or eight homes together, good money in the bank. And then all of a sudden, you know, we divorced in probably one of the worst real estate markets available, sold all the homes that were worth one time a lot of money for nothing. And so I really left that divorce with nothing, like maybe $75,000. And I was 30 and I had two kids that had to support. So I really didn't have the right to not succeed, right? I was responsible for two children I brought into this world. And so I had to make it work. And because I had had some success prior to failing, I knew what it felt like to make money and to win. So I thought, well, if I had it before, I can have it again. Well, I then very soon after my husband left me, I met my love of my life. So that's why I'm very grateful that Tom left me. We're very close, dysfunctional, functional family. I'm very close to my ex-husband and his wife. And I have thanked him many times. But I found an entrepreneur and a boyfriend, right? He had um, his own company and he sold it and it got made a few million. And I'm like, yes. Finally, I get a rich boyfriend because I've never actually was with a man that made more money than me ever, ever. I always
0: out earned every man I was with, which is made more money. That is very rare in the Latino community. We're taught that the man is always the breadwinner in our community. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I never had that. So finally I have this man, I'm like, oh, now maybe somebody could actually take care of me. So it was, you know, a really great love story from day one. And so he sold this company and he invested all the money in stock, in tech stocks. And if anybody was around in the late 90s, early 2000s, all his wealth went away almost literally overnight. So here I was once again (laughs) with a boyfriend that didn't have a job because he sold this company, never had a job because he's been an entrepreneur since he's 16. And uh, he's like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you come to work with me, get into mortgage? So little did I know that would be probably one of the greatest mortgage stories that has ever been written in mortgage. Synergistically, we couldn't be better business partners or better marital partners, but I didn't know that. He brought to the table everything I didn't have. He's an entrepreneur. I was not. I always worked for a paycheck. My security was a paycheck. I worked for large corporations where I could be fired, yet I didn't own anything, right? And here I met this entrepreneur who taught me that if I ever wanted to build real wealth, that we needed to risk what we had and build a company. So that was the very beginning in the infancy of what is now New American Funding, which is one of the largest mortgage lenders in the country. But it was in teamwork that we did it right. He brought the entrepreneurship skills to the table. And I brought the industry expertise to the table and he capitalized on me. So it was really kind of a cool synergistic fit. And, you know, if you think back, you don't need to be somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend, but you, you could find maybe somebody that doesn't have your strength and partner with them. It could be a friend, it could just be somebody in the same space. So people are like, well, how about if you're not lucky enough to find the boyfriend? Well, honestly, I don't really believe that most women should go into business with their boyfriends. Probably largely doesn't work. <laughs> no, no. So, I, I, I start to think yeah, of- I mean, probably <laughs> large, in a large scale doesn't work. But what I did is found somebody who brought my weaknesses to the table as a strength. So, you know, when you're building a company, you definitely need to Really hone in on what your strengths are. Obviously, my strength is not in finance, in man. It's not in managing P Ls, right? Like it's it. not. It was in mortgage that I had great strength. So I, that's where you, you know you find a book like Strength Finders when you're building companies or even in relationships. I think you should know who's bringing what to the table in a relationship so that you don't step on each other's toes and let each other fly, like let the male should let us fly and let us do what we're good at. So I was just, again, kind of lucky. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm so lucky that I got set up with this guy. So at 40, our company's rolling, right? We're doing really, really well. I'm making more money than I ever thought. I mean, literally, I remember taking my daughter to sushi. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to tell somebody. I made a million dollars net this month to myself, a million dollars years ago. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm like, I had to tell somebody. So I told my little 15-year-old daughter. She's like, what? I'm like, I know I had to tell somebody. But then I just thought I was lucky. Then our company really started to take on some traction. And and I was building the sales force. You know, that was my my strength. I was a leader in sales. and, And people were really good. People were wanting to come work for me. So one day I just woke up and I was at this desk that I bought from Ikea because I built our company on very minimal. You know, I I always watch these people who get capital and then they go buy expensive furniture. And I'm like, no, no girl, that's how you build a company. You're supposed to use that money to build the company's profitability, not put it in an office, you know, the look of your office. So I literally was working on a desk that cost $60, chairs that were costing nothing, And I remember where I was when I decided that I was smart and not just lucky. And that's really when I didn't even know what imposter syndrome was until somebody explained it to me a few years ago. Actually, on a a podcast, I was asking, (laughs) did you you have imposter syndrome? I'm like, well, wait, I'm Googling it on my phone. I read the explanation. I'm like, oh, my God. Yes, I totally had that. I didn't know what the name of it. But yeah, I, I just kept thinking I was lucky or I was oh right place, right time. So no, I was smart. I just wasn't smart the way media makes us feel like we need to be smart, the way academia makes you feel like you're smart. Most teachers in high school only make you feel smart if you do well on test. And I decided then, you know, I'm really smart. So that's when I started to teach about imposter syndrome later after the podcast. Now I talk about it a lot, but that's that's where I talk about That self-confidence is built over time. There are some kids that I have met that are extremely self-confident. Kudos to the parents. I wasn't raised by a mom that's confident at all. My mom is still not confident. And so a lot of times we don't instill that. So I, I definitely have built it over time. I wasn't born with it. I still build on it. I'm 57 years old. And I would tell you that my confidence is built daily by some little wins you know, or maybe a little accolade that I get. I was just in Forbes this week. I didn't even know. I'm like, all of a sudden I get out of these texts. Congratulations, you made the Forbes 50 over 50 list. I'm like, well, great. Now everyone knows my real age. (laughs) And I'm like, how? I never thought, I'm 50, I never thought in my wild dreams. And I look at that list all the time. I look at Forbes 30 under 30, 40 under 40. I never thought I would ever make that list and to have made it, I was, and people, I didn't even know, people were telling me the other day, well, yeah, I kind of made me give me a little confidence, you know, I'm a little more confident now that I have a seat at the table. Right. Yeah. So that's why I said
0: confidence built over time. Yeah. And who would have known that this girl at 16 years old working <laughs> at TransUnion Credit would be on the Forbes magazine, right? I know. So that just happened like Monday so or whatever. So that's what I'm telling you. It, our wins
1: are our self-confidence built over time. Yeah, the little wins give us that extra brick,
0: right? That we're building. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you one thousand percent. You know, I think that, as you were saying, you partnered up with someone who saw your your strengths, right? And then yep. you saw his strengths, and so together you had that synergy to create yes. a wonderful mortgage company. And it's called New American Funding. So tell me, when you guys decided to create that, did you think it would get to this level that you're in?
1: No, that took time. We definitely had goals because I remember 12, 13 years ago, I'm like, okay, we need to build, we were then just a call center. So we were very much like our competitor called Rocket, where you did your loan online. And we, you know, So we already built that similar platform like Rocket a long time ago. And then I come from a distributed retail platform. That means there are people in market, in your hometown that are running around to realtors, asking them for relationships, and they do your loan. It's a very valuable channel of business because most people that are making their biggest purchase in their entire life kind of want to know who they're dealing with, right? Or you're literally showing us everything. We know your income, your bank statements, your credit, so, it's a very intimate purchase. So, I was I came from distributed retail. So, I, I told Rick, you know, we need to build distributed retail if we want to be uh, relevant in this space. And I said, but you know what? I only want 12 offices. I want to dominate Southern California. <laughs> so, that was the, the initial goal. But the problem was is that goal came very quickly. So, once we started to build Southern California, we started to attract Other people in California. So we started to be be kind of a big presence. At one time we were one of the biggest purchase money lenders in the state. Then we said, you know what? If we really want to be really big, we need to go out of state. So I hired my first out of state agent in Colorado and he helped me build Colorado. So and now we're in all 50 states and you know, just one goal at a time, one milestone at a time. So, but the master plan, no, Rick and I never thought we'd be this big, but every win created more opportunity. So, you know, when people compete with me and they, you know, trying to court people to come to their company, they're like, well, why would you go to New American? They're too big now. And I'm like, well, why do you go to a little company when they want to stay small? Like we all have to think big. You know, so I, too, was that company that thought, oh, I only want 12 branches. I want to be boutique. But once you gain some success and some momentum, why not want to be big? Why not want to compete with the rockets of America? Right. So that's what we did. It was just one milestone at a time, one goal at a time. You know, it sounds so cliche. Oh, set goals or, you know, fail. Yeah, yeah we all of us leaders say that, right? Oh, fail. yeah fail you know, have goals and work hard, like, duh. But honestly, it's the truth. <laughs> it is the honest truth. Every single thing I write down, I walk around with the notebook. I have goals. I know where I'm going. In my 30s, when I was broke, I'm like, you know, by the time I'm 40, I want $10 million liquid cash in the bank literally, I told my best friend, she thought, okay, cool. You want 10 million. I put it out into the universe or whatever that is. That's so Oprah, right? But I did, I put it, I told my best friend, even though I was going to sound like I was stuck up. And I had that goal because I wanted the freedom to not feel like I felt when I lost it all. I didn't even want to lose it all again and feel like I couldn't take care of my family. So I think you have to have goals. Like, why are you going to work every day if you don't know how much money is going to make you feel like you don't have to go to work every day? So goal writing, very, very important, putting it out to the universe. And that could be like telling your best friend, telling your core group, telling your mentor, telling whoever, I really feel like it gives it legs. Like, okay, I got to do it now. So I had way more than that at 40. So I was super happy. I exceeded my goal. So I'm a big proponent of having a lot of liquidity, a lot of safety nets built around me. Like if I, like right now, mortgage is not fun because interest rates have risen really fast, you know? And I am thank God that I built a network and I have a lot of liquidity that's just liquid cash that I can use to run my company, to endure these hard times so I don't ever have to worry again because I still, at this age, we don't want to continue to age and worry more. Yeah, that, That's what kids are for. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, we never stop worrying about
0: them. Yeah, no, I, yeah, definitely. Now, a lot of liquidity and we're, and we're in a recession, quote unquote. Yes, we are. They yeah. haven't officially declared it. A recession. Right. It feels very yes. recession to me. And the mortgage rates are climbing up. And so I start to think I'm like, okay, you know, as Latinos, I feel like there's this big hardship that they kind of put themselves in and in the financial sense, like if you know what's coming, well, guess what we get to do? We get to start like, okay, maybe we need to peel back, save some money, have liquidity so that when we get back to normalcy, if you will, or a bigger and better year, that we have an opportunity for us to invest. Right. And to invest in the biggest purchase of your life, which is a house, right? Yes. So do you find that it's really challenging for Latinos to find these mortgages so that they can buy a house? I
1: do. I mean, it definitely the underserved market, their home ownership rate, I think sits around 51% in comparison to non-Hispanics. Black homeownership rates even lower than that. But I will tell you, when you look at first-time homebuyers in this country, 70% of them are Latinos. Mm. So our younger generation is very house-hungry. I do feel like the, the options for mortgages are very available. I don't think there's education around the availability. We happen to be one of the largest lenders to the Latinos in a, in this country by percentage. So our company does more lending in this space than any other mortgage company in America by percentage. So yeah, there definitely needs to be a mission to serve that market within the organization. So I think a lot of it is Latinos don't feel comfortable to going to companies where they don't feel like we culturally understand how we spend and save money. So obviously we have a large Latino based sales force, which makes me very happy. It was very intentional, but no, we're the emerging market. So I do feel like that the wealth is created through home ownership. It's the number one key to home ownership. And I feel like the Latinos are leading this market. And I think they will continue to lead the market. But education around home ownership still starts in the home. And, you know, most of them, their parents are my age. They didn't own homes. They came from countries that home ownership is not available in. It's so hard to buy a home in Mexico or El Salvador or any other countries, right? They don't really have mortgage loans like we do. So education is key. But no, I think this is a great time. The Hispanic market's actually doing very, very, very well in, in access to home ownership. But if they don't have the information, they should Google and find companies like ours where they can see themselves in leadership and see themselves culturally being served by other Latinos in the in the space.
0: Yeah, that's super important because I know for a fact, as someone who's been working with Latinos as a lawyer, that they prefer to work with the, your own kind rather yeah. than a gringo. ¿Qué sabe yeah. este gringo? No sabe yeah. nada
1: right? <laughs> yeah. We want to be co- somebody who culturally aligns with us. So the way we save and spend money is just different than non-Latinos. Yes, we will have a primo that will lend us money, a primo. Well, most people don't live where their, their primos are as close as like we are because our primos oftentimes are almost like our brothers and sisters, right? So the credit box was written not to take into consideration that Latinos are very family oriented and we pull our money and we lend it to each other to help buy homes and it's going to be out of our immediate family. And yet our Tio and Tia are like our second mom and dad. So they don't understand that because that's typically not how a white family grows up.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad that you are servicing our community and that uh, I've read here that uh, it's like a 55 percent Yes, yeah, so we have a large percentage. So we have the,
1: what's kind of interesting about our companies, you know, we're in finance and most, I think in the top 100, I'm the only female founder and I'm a Latina. Not only that, in the top 20, I'm the largest female owned, also Latina. And we're almost 60% female employed and 43% minority employed. And it wasn't because I have a diversity and inclusion manual. Because if that's why big public companies are like, how do we get more Latinos? Why do we get more African-Americans? Well, it's not through a manual. It's through making your company's leadership look and mirror the communities you're trying to serve. If the black community is 14% of the population, 14% of your workforce should be black. If Latinos stand for 19% of the population, 19% of your, your employment so, you know, your employee should be Latino and same with the serving. It naturally happened in my company. Latinas, specifically Latinas come to work at my company because they see me and they know they can be me. It's not hard to be me. They, 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 oftentimes they are very educated. they are much smarter than me coming to work for me. They just want somebody to understand their background, where they came from, the immigrant perspective. Right. Yeah. So I naturally don't have a manual that makes me so diverse. But <laughs> I think if more companies really will have more CEOs that look like us, I, you know, we're still not really represented actually at all in the top 500. I don't even know if there's a, t- a female Latina CEO in the Fortune 500. I know we have a couple of kick-ass like African-American women, you know, but we, I don't think we have a Latina yet in the Fortune 500. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't think so. But we will. And when we do, as we start to diversify our leadership and we, you know, as women are emerging, look at you, USC grad and look at your background. I mean, we need to pull women like you up so that we can we can recruit to you and we can show the percentage of the population that we are there. We're represented in the companies so they see themselves.
0: Oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. I want to work for you. (laughs) Ah, Good. I, I
1: love that. And I love when they email me. I came to work for you because I heard you on a such and such
0: podcast. Yay, for me. So Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And especially like if I can make money like, like that, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, Amiga, I know you, your time is super valuable. And before you leave me, I would love to get either a one or two tips on how an Amiga can handle her shit. Okay,
1: right. So first off, be confident in the fact that we want to be wealthy. I think that's a big deal. I think we're stigmatized, like, oh, don't say that. My mom even says, I need huh? So, yes, <laughs> own your value, own your worth. It's okay to want to be wealthy. It's okay to want to lead your family. I mean, underlyingly so, we do. Number two, find your community. So I also am a partner, and we all grow Latina. Right. Why I love this company so much and why I bought 50% of the company was because I too found myself very lonely at the top. Amigas, we need to lift each other up. We need to build that Latina community where we empower each other, where we invest in each other's companies, where you can call and have a safe place to discuss why you want to be successful. And you will find that at We All Grow Latina. So make sure you follow us on Instagram. Make sure you attend our events because you will find women who look like you, talk like you, and successful women. And you will have that community. And I think building that community is very, very important.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I found myself when as practicing as a lawyer, I felt very lonely, like lonely. And then you can't really reach out to the other attorneys because they're really, I mean, yeah, they're your friends, Uh but in the courtroom, they're not your friends. Exactly. And so you need to find people that align with you. And I love these kinds of events. And that's why I met you there. And I'm so excited that I went because I had an opportunity to go somewhere else. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to go to this event. I want to check it out because I know I'm going to meet some powerful ladies and look, look. Awesome. It works and we're going to build it even
1: bigger. And, you know, I look to be the number one community of Latinas in America. So I think that we band together because I oftentimes get calls. And I do mentor business women, and they're like, Oh my God, I have nobody to ask. I no, I don't trust anybody. So this is where that community is so important. You will find people that will invest in your companies in this community. So I think oh, yeah.
0: that's important. Absolutely. Find your tribe, girl. Find your tribe. Find your tribe, amigas out there. I'm so grateful to you for your time here, Patty. And I can't wait to see you again in person. Absolutely. And love you to death. And amigas, uh, You need to go find her, uh, follow her on Instagram. And by the way, she said it. She said, I answer my DMs. And I I thought, Dejame ver, dejame ver. And I I DM'd her, and guess what? She did. (laughs) So I'm super grateful. And you're so, so powerful. I mean, I'm like over the moon just that you're here with us. Thank Thank you. I feel blessed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patty. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga, Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.